Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are coming quickly to the conclusion of the book of Colossians as we have been studying verse by verse. Today we're in chapter 4. If you open your Bible there, we should finish up next week and move on to something else. I want to remind you that when Paul wrote this letter, he'd never been where this church is. He'd never been to Colossae. He wrote them, telling them that He hoped one day maybe to see them, but he was reminding them that they have everything they need in Jesus. They're complete in him. And when you come and give your life to Christ, you don't stay the same. You take your Christianity home. You take your Christianity to work. And today we're going to talk about taking it outside, outside the church walls, outside your own home, to living it out in the world. Look what he says in verse Five of chapter 4. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would speak to our hearts, reminding us that we only have so much time and that we have only so many opportunities to share you with other people. So we pray, God, that you will bring people to you, that they might realize they need Jesus and come to you, that you'd help us to realize that people do need Jesus and we can talk to them. We ask you now to speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the buzzwords of today is the word interactive. We're looking for more ways to be interactive. To be up to date in any area, you must be interactive in some way. For example, American Idol, America's Got Talent are interactive television shows because the audience actually votes on the people that will advance. Some uh, talk radio hosts are interactive. You can actually call them and interact with them. Video games are constantly looking for new ways to be more interactive. And about the time you've seen it all, now refrigerators are interactive. (laughs) Now, I took this right off a website, and I want you to listen to the description of this refrigerator. Samsung believes connected living starts with people and their busy lives. The kitchen is the heart of the home, and the fridge is the heart of the kitchen. Samsung's Family Hub refrigerator helps you connect to what's most important, your family and home, whenever and wherever. Family Hub lets you see inside your refrigerator, manage your family's calendars, stream music, see who's at the front door, and much more. All right from your fridge. See inside your refrigerator from anywhere, all from the Family Hub stream, your favorite music apps on the Family Hub. Mirror movies or live sports from your Samsung TV on the Family Hub. Get a notification on the Family Hub when your laundry is done. See who's at the front door. 
monitor multiple rooms, adjust the thermostat, all from the family hub, create and share shopping lists, plan meals based on the food inside your refrigerator, and automatically set expiration dates. Customize your screensaver with picture, slideshow, weather, and animations. That is all I need is another reason to be at the refrigerator. (laughs) Interactive. One of the things that's been so hard about COVID-19 and all of us being shut up in our homes or isolated is the fact that we've not been able to be interactive. Human interaction is important. If you're in media and marketing, you want human interaction. You want people to respond. But over the past several weeks, as we've looked at how Jesus changes our life, and then we get outside, people are going to interact with us because they see something different about us. At least they're supposed to. And so we become interactive. It seems that we're interested in interacting with the culture, But when it comes to Christianity, it seems like everybody says, well, that's a private matter. But I'm going to tell you something. Christianity was never meant to be a private matter. In fact, Jesus told us to go into all the world and to make disciples and to tell other people about Jesus. It was never intended to be a personal, private matter. Obviously, you come personally to Christ, and nobody can come to Christ for you. You have to do that personally, but it was never intended to be a private matter. And here, Paul gives us some instruction on how to interact with society. When we leave this building and we go out, we go outside. How are we supposed to act? Well, a couple of things. He talks, about, he talks about our conduct, and he's going to talk about how we speak. Let's first look at the believer's conduct. Whether you realize it or not, you are being watched. Now, we're told today that we're being watched by our smartphones and our televisions and stuff. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who you know, you work with, you live with. They are watching you especially if they know you claim to be a follower of Christ. They're watching you. You're under scrutiny. You never know it, but they are. Reminds me of two gas employees, gas company employees. One was a, a, an older training, a trainer, a supervisor trainer, and he had a young apprentice, and they were reading gas meters. They parked the truck at the end of the alley. They walked down the alley reading the gas meters. When they got to the end of the alley, a lady looked out her window and saw the two men there reading her meter. Well, after they read the meter, the older trainer said, I'll race you to the pickup, to the younger guy. And they took off. And when they got to the truck, they were both out of breath. And then in about 10 seconds behind them, there was a lady right behind them, all out of breath. And they said, lady, are you okay? Somebody after you? And and what's the matter? And she said, when I see two gas men running full speed away from my house, I figured I better run away too. Whether you like it or not, people are watching you, and they may follow your lead. Someone's watching your attitude. They watch the way you treat your family. They watch the way that you react to pressure situations. They watch how you speak about other people, whether it's positively or negatively. They watch you on your job or at school to see how diligent you are to fulfill your responsibilities or to do your work or how you interact with other people. They even will listen to what you say. 
Because some of them are hoping that they will find something you say that will help them in their life without Jesus, which is a life of darkness. People are watching you. It does matter. When you go to the restaurants after church today, you got a testimony. I hate to tell you that most people don't like to work on Sunday. I've been told this by restaurant managers. They don't like to work on Sunday. And I used to think it was because they wanted to go to church. How naive of me. But no, he said, no, the people that come on Sunday, they don't tip. And they're some of the rudest people we have. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? So when you go, you're being watched. And Paul says that when you are living for Christ and Christ is in your life, your conduct ought to involve two things. First, you need to walk in wisdom. It says in verse five, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside to live authentically. The word walk obviously refers to the way that you live. Sometimes it's translated conduct or behavior. And aside from the fact that the Lord is pleased as you're growing in the Lord and him, he wants us to know that those who are on the outside are watching. Interesting that he uses that term, those who are on the outside. Those without Jesus Christ are on the outside of God's kingdom. They're on the outside of salvation. Aren't you glad you're on the inside? And you didn't get on the inside by, being, uh, by inheriting it. You got on the inside by confessing your own sin to God, asking him to forgive you, and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. He redeemed you. He washed you clean. He brought you inside. But those outside, we don't think of people like that. Those without Christ, they're on the outside of salvation. They're on the outside of what God wants them to be. He said, when you are around them, you need to walk in wisdom. Now, you got to remember that when Paul wrote this letter, the outsiders were really slandering the Christians. Some of them were called atheists. Why would a Christian be called an atheist? Because in that day, with all of the, the multitude of gods, the idols that they served, the Christians didn't follow any of those gods. They served an invisible God. But some of them accused them of being an atheist because they didn't follow a God. Some of them were called unpatriotic because they didn't burn incense to or worship the emperor of Rome as God. Some of them were called cannibals because they talked about the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Some of them were called immoral because of the persecution. They were forced to go inside behind closed doors. Christians were persecuted. Christians were looked at by the outsiders, and Paul said, when you are on the outside, when you are among the people, you need to walk in wisdom. How do you do that? What does that mean? You know, as we witness for Christ, we live and we don't come across with a holier-than-thou attitude. We don't come across as being superior to everyone else. In fact, very few people have ever been debated or argued into Christianity. You've never argued somebody into Christianity. Okay, you win the argument, I'm going to give my life to Christ. It didn't happen that way. There may be an exception every now and then, but every Christian is a witness by the way that we live. So how do you know if you're walking in wisdom? 
Well, this is the fourth time in this letter that Paul has used this word, wisdom. The first time he used it was in chapter one, verse nine, where he said, be filled. He was praying for the Colossians that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now that wisdom is the emphasis on the knowledge of his will. The Hebrew thought wisdom was the skill in living. It was taking all of that knowledge and applying it to your everyday life. Taking the things of God, the word of God, the will of God, and applying it to your everyday life. And the word understanding means to put it all together and apply it to every part of your life. To walk in wisdom means we start by looking at God's word and saying, God, what do you, how do you want me to live? A lot of people say, well, that was a great sermon, pastor, and they walk out never thinking that what God had to say in his word applies to you as you go out. It sounds good. Oh, it's easy to be a Christian in here, but when you go out, I'm supposed to still apply that to my life. He also used that word in chapter two, verse three, where he said, in Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One pastor that I read, he said there were particular four sources of wisdom. One of them was meditating on the scripture. Now, when you think of the word meditate, what do you think of? If I say, you need to meditate, you know, some weird position. You know, no, to, to meditate, Psalm 1 talks about the, the, the man who follows God in his law, does he meditate day and night? It's just a nice word for chew the cud. You ever seen an animal chew its cud? A cow? Cow's just rechewing what it's already eaten. Well, that's kind of a horrible thought because we don't like to think about that. But when it comes to the word of God, you don't just listen to it. You bring it back up. You meditate on it. How does this affect my life? How does this affect my marriage? How does it affect my business dealings? You meditate. The second source of wisdom is prayer. Lord, would you guide me and lead me in all that I do and show me? the right thing to do in this situation. A third source of wisdom is sound or biblical or godly counselors. Other people that you know in your life that love Jesus and that are trying to follow him, there's none of them perfect, but you're saying, I want some godly biblical counsel in this situation. And it can be a source of wisdom. And then a a fourth source is being able to practice the principles in real life experience. You can look back over your life and you can see how God taught you some things. Am I the only one that God's taught a few things and shown a few things that doesn't have a diploma to show for it? That tuition may have cost a lot, but you learned something. You saw how God has given you wisdom to know how to walk. So you're walking in wisdom To walk in wisdom means to be consciously applying God's word to our everyday life, especially toward outsiders, those who are lost. But he said also in verse five, to seize the opportunities, to live consciously redeeming the time. That phrase redeeming the time can also be translated to buy up the time or to make the most of every opportunity. And the word that's often translated time right here, for example, right here, has nothing to do with hours and minutes and days. 
That's chronos. We have a chronograph, a watch that helps us keep time. Chronology is the time. This word is kairos, which speaks of a specific period that demands a response. Jesus used this term in Mark 1.15. When he was talking about it was time for him to proclaim the gospel, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Those who heard Jesus had a time, a period, a season now to respond to him. He also wept over Jerusalem when he said they didn't, Jerusalem did not recognize the time of her visitation. Paul is saying that while we're living our lives and people may be drawn to what you have, they may say, you know, you're not the same guy you used to be. You, you, don't, you don't do the things you used to do. You don't talk the way you used to talk. Tell me what it is that you have. There's a time right there. And it's not going to come again. And you need to make the most of it right then. That's what he's saying. Redeem it. Buy it out right there. Don't waste that. They don't always come. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they, you don't want to waste it. Redeeming is that decisive point to, to act upon it. Let me, let me give it another way. All of you have a favorite store of some kind. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a sporting goods store. Maybe it's a clothing store or a department store or who knows, golfing store. I don't know. You've got a favorite store. It's the store you love to get a gift card from. Now, let's suppose that you get an announcement or somebody lets you know that this Friday, everything in that store is going to be 75% off, no exceptions. So what are you going to do? You're going to go. You're not going to say, well, if I get an opportunity, I'll do it. No, you're, you're already planning it. You're already making plans. I'm going to be there when the door opens. If everything in it is 75% off, that's redeeming the time. Here is a situation God has put you in or allowed you to be in, and you need to grab it right then. Don't waste it. Time is something we cannot replenish. God can give you unlimited love. He can give you unlimited mercy. He can give you unlimited grace. But God does not give us unlimited time. Not on this earth anyway. And so when you have that time, you need to make the most of it in your workplace, in your school, with your family, with your friends. Sometimes you may need to turn off some things that you can use your time a little more wisely. Turn off the television and give up some things to spend with your kids. There's a little saying on time, it goes something like this. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds is in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. Give account if I abuse it, just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. You don't have time. You can't get it back. Do you know what the term carpe diem means? It is not fish of the day. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what a carp is. It's a fish. Fishermen call it a bugle mouth bass. 
It means seize the day. There was a movie years ago that Robin Williams was in. It was entitled The Dead Poet Society. And Robin Williams plays a private school teacher by the name of Mr. Keating. And on the first day of every class, he took his students in the hall and he showed them the photographs, the pictures of those former students who were now dead and buried. And he would point at them and he he would say, here's what he said. We are food for worms, lads. Believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room one day will stop breathing, turn cold, and die. Step forward and see these faces from the past. They were just like you are now. They believed they were destined for great things. Their eyes are full of hope. But you see, gentlemen, these boys are fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you will hear them whisper their legacy to you. Lean in. What do you hear? Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Well, folks, Paul is basically saying when you're out in society and the, God opens a door for you to share or to speak, do it. Seize it. Redeem the time. Don't waste those opportunities. Well, it, logic will tell you that when you're out walking, you're going to be talking. <laughs> so he moves from the conduct to conversation. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. The word answer brings out that the Christian is one who's ready to respond properly, to be able to answer each one. I read a statement that said some people know very little, but they know it fluently. There was a book entitled The Mystery of Christ. The author says an answer presupposes a question. Now what is more likely to make outsiders want to ask questions than a different life, a way of living that cannot be explained by usual worldly motives, aims, and standards? A genuine, radiant Christian life is sure to make the many people who find no satisfaction in their own lives think and perhaps ask questions questions. Now we've talked about the conduct and if you're living a life for Christ, I'm going to tell you this, I've never had a non-believer just walk up to me and say, can you tell me how to become a Christian? It's never happened to me. Now I've had people after church, they've heard a sermon, they'll, they'll ask that question, but in everyday life, people don't usually just walk up to you and say, can you tell me how to become a Christian? But they will ask you, I noticed that you just went through a tragedy in your life and you handled it in a way that I've never seen before. Yeah, your heart was broken and you cried, but there was still something about you, a peace. Can you tell me what that is? Or they may see you struggling or they may hear you say something or they may see your, your change in life and they're gonna ask you, what's different about you now? Are you religious? Please don't say yes. You say no, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ by God's grace. That's what's different about me. And when you begin to speak to them, 
There's several ways to do it. Paul said, when you speak out about what's going on in your life, redeem that moment. You buy that time. Here's, God's given me an opportunity to share. How do I do it? Well, he mentioned several things. He says, first of all, you should use gracious words. Now, what does that mean? Let your speech always be with grace. Speaking with grace goes hand in hand with walking in wisdom and redeeming the time. It means that we realize, first and, forced and, first and foremost, we realize the value of that person. Every person on this earth has value. You may not think so. A homeless person has value. An affluent person has value. All the people in between have value. And when we talk to people, we need to realize that every one of them are valuable and loved by God. Amen. To respond with gracious words, it means to treat people with kindness. Have you evaluated the way you talk lately? What is the content of your conversation? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be negative? It just comes naturally, doesn't it? We're whiners and complainers. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And if we're prone to being negative all the time, do you think an unbeliever is going to want to talk to you? Whatever you have, I don't want any of it. Because a Christian is a new creation, what comes out of our lips matters. Maybe you used to use profanity or had crude language. Folks, that's not part of being a believer. Not anymore. When Jesus changes your heart, he changes your vocabulary. He changes your attitudes. He changes what comes out of your mouth. Matthew 5.37 says that. You maybe have been prone to complaining and griping about everything from traffic to the weather, but now you have thankfulness in your heart. God's done some good things in your life. Amen? Amen. And so you speak with grace. The definition of grace is, you know, the free and unmerited favor of God. And when we think of grace, we think of God sending his son to die on the cross. We sang about it a moment ago at the cross. We sung about how his blood ran red and our sin washed white. We think of Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. But let me give you something else to think about. When we speak with gracious words, when we think of grace being in our conversation, it's not for you and me to determine whether that person deserves it or not. Huh. Did God give you grace because you deserved it? It wouldn't be grace if he did. If you earned it, it's not grace. Grace is something you didn't earn it. God gave it to you and so for me to share the gospel or to share with another person with gracious words means that I may not like what they do. I may not like what they stand for. It's not for me to decide whether they deserve it or not. I'm supposed to be gracious. 
Now it's getting quiet in here. Let's take this a step further. When Paul wrote the Colossians, there was no social media. If there was, if there had been, I'm sure he would have addressed it. Why are we so unkind when it comes to social media? All of a sudden, the cowards get brave, don't they? It's a coward that can write it down and won't say it to your face. Folks, we need to be careful. Even those on the other side of the political spectrum. Now you're mad. Now I'm meddling, right? Yeah. Well, they deserve it. Come on, folks, we're, we're doing more to harm Christianity on social media than, than in many ways because people read what we say and how we react and how we respond and wisdom, wisdom says, I don't need to get involved in that because that's gonna hurt the cause of Christ. Yeah, I have strong feelings about it. I do. I have very strong feelings. Nobody gets madder about it than me. But wisdom tells me, don't put that out there for everybody to see, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever you do. Let your words be gracious. We're also to be, use wholesome, these are my terms, wholesome and exciting dialogue. What does it mean? Let your words be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? One little boy was asked what salt was. Here was his answer. He says, it's what tastes bad when it's not there. <laughs> now think about that one for a moment. Salt gives zest and sing and flavor to, to food. It, it's, when we're sharing Jesus, if there's anything that ought to excite us, it ought to be that. The most important thing that's ever happened to you is not a football team or a basketball team or a championship. You ought to be excited about what Jesus has done for you. And Paul is saying, when you speak to people, do not bore them. That's be a sin to bore them about the greatest gift that God's ever given and your speech should be wholesome, it should be clean, it should be pure, and it should be exciting. It ought to bring some flavor to the conversation. You should be so filled with thanksgiving that it just flows out of you. I'm excited about what Jesus has done for me. I'm excited that he loves me. I'm excited that he likes me. I'm excited that he wants to be with me. I, I want you to know what I have. You can have it too. Why are we so glum about it? Hmm. In ancient Greek usage, the salt would often refer to a person's wittiness. Paul has in mind that our conversation should be winsome and warm and convincing and even sparkling and has a quality of flavoring. It's so filled with thanks to the Lord that it flavors every conversation. When you talk about Jesus, 
there ought to be some excitement about it. Aren't you glad you have him? Aren't you glad he's changed your life? He also says that we need to communicate with sensitivity. In fact, verse six says that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The way we react or the way we act toward other people is going to provide a natural opening for us to share the the Lord or it can shut the door. And Paul says that when people open the door or they they, um, want to talk to you about the Lord, you've got to use some wisdom involved. That doesn't mean you have to know everything. If an eight-year-old or let's just say a six-year-old asks you about being saved, you're going to use different terminology than you are to a 26-year-old. You gotta be careful with children. You gotta be wise. You gotta be careful because they're so literal-minded that they will respond that way. So you try not to ever ask any yes or no questions. They'll always answer the way you want them to answer. You're trying to be, help them be objective. That's using wisdom. You're talking to somebody who's never talked, known about Jesus or an adult. You can use abstract terminology like being washed, our sins were washed away. Depending on the situation, you know, we learn these ways to share the gospel and there's nothing wrong with that. The Roman road or however you've cho- chosen to, to learn how to share the gospel. But every situation is different. Sometimes it's friend that you've cultivated, friendship you've cultivated for a long time, or sometimes it may be just somebody that's never heard and they've opened the, they've opened the door or God's opened the door. Wisdom is the ability to keep your mouth shut while your mind continues to talk to itself. Sometimes it's the time to say something. Sometimes it's not the time to say something. And you ask the Holy Spirit to help you be sensitive. You know, if you can tell, it's amazing to me how insensitive some people can, t- can be. I mean, you ever have people come up and talk to you and it's just not the right time to talk to you? You're trying to do something else and they just will not shut up. You ever met those kind of people? They're everywhere. And I'm not being ugly, I'm just saying that there's not enough wisdom to say, you know what, this isn't the right time to tell this right now, or whatever. Well, Paul is saying you, you need to be wise in knowing how, but when the opportunity comes, share the hope that is within you. First Peter, Peter wrote it in 1 Peter 3.15 that people see this, and, and the whole book of 1 Peter is about uh, persecution and trials and troubles, and he said when people see you going through those trials, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Redeem the time and share it with somebody. There are people in your life that only you can talk to because I don't know them. Your Sunday school teacher doesn't know them or the deacons don't know them, but you do. And they know you and they've been watching you. And you know what? I I can remember one time as a teenager, when I was still in high school working at Safeway, um, I went to one of my coworkers and apologized. I just told him, I said, hey, I need to apologize to you. And he said, for what? I said, because I haven't always acted like somebody who loves the Lord and my speech hasn't always been perfect. And, and I want you to know that 
I've asked God to forgive me. I'm asking you to forgive me because I haven't lived up in front of you the way I should have lived. And God gave me an opportunity to witness to him. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to go and I don't know how the Lord will lead you, but in every situation, we need to respond with grace because God gave you what you didn't deserve. We need to give God an opportunity to give them what they don't deserve in our minds. They, they need Jesus. And so today, we need to take it outside. When you go to eat, take it with you. Maybe you ask the waitress or the waiter, the server, we're about to pray for our meal and bless, ask God blessings and thank him for it. Can we pray for you? Is there anything we can pray for you about? I mean, folks, if you consciously think about it, I don't have it so many days here on this earth and I need to redeem that time. I need to use my life for God. Think consciously of ways to share the greatest things ever happened to you. Your testimony. Nobody can deny your testimony. Maybe you don't have one. Some people's testimony goes like this. I walked an aisle when I was a kid and I was baptized. Well, I did that as a kid too. But it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I understood that my sin separated me from God. I was on the outside. But God loved me enough that he came after me. <laughs> and when I asked God to forgive me because Jesus paid it all, we just sang about that. He died on the cross, he rose again, conquered death, God put our sin on him. When I asked God to forgive me and I trusted and invited Jesus to into my life and committed my life to him, God said, you know what, I'm gonna wash you clean because of the righteousness of Christ. And so when he looks at me, he looks at me clean through him and I am now not on the outside, I'm, I'm in the fold with him. Maybe that's never happened to you. You can be a professional church goer. I, you're looking at one. So I was born in the church. I went to church nine months before I was born. <laughs> Just going to church won't save you. Coming to Christ will. You'll never be the same again. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're watching online, would you hit that connect button right now so that people can help you and pray with you? And for those of you who don't know Jesus, maybe you're still watching. Listen, more than anything on earth, we want you to know Jesus as your Savior. And so right now, if you will ask God to forgive you, you first have to realize that you're separated from him. You ask God to forgive you. You believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin and rose again the third day. You place your faith and trust in him. Lord, we pray for those today that need Jesus as their savior. Maybe they've gone to church. Maybe they were sprinkled as a baby. Maybe they went through some kind of class, but they've never committed themselves to you by an act of faith and trust. We pray that they would do that now. 
Those in this room, if they're watching this on television, Lord, we pray they would come to you right now. And for those of us, Lord, who've known you a long time, would you forgive us for all of the times we failed to redeem the time? But from right now on, would you help us be conscious of ways to share the gospel with people? To just share about what's happened in our own lives, whether we think they deserve it or not. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to live outside the church walls and places of business and and schools and neighborhoods that you would let your people shine in the lights of darkness because if there was ever a time of darkness, it's now when people are living in fear. Help us to share with them the greatest news they'll ever hear. I pray you bring people to you. I I lift up those who've committed their life to you but have not been brave enough to be baptized yet. Lord, that's the first way to show people that you've been changed and that you love Jesus. I pray you give people courage to be baptized. I pray for those that need a church. If this is the place, you bring them here. But Lord, first of all, bring them to you before you bring them here. And while your heads are still bowed, there are communication cards I mentioned earlier in the service and on there is a place for you to indicate your decision today. After we're dismissed, there'll be pastors here at the front to to pray with you, to help you with any commitment that you wouldn't want to make. But but right now, you can also indicate that on that communication card and, and you can drop it in the box as you leave and we're going to call you on the telephone. We're not going to show up at your house unannounced. We're going to call you first and talk to you about your commitment. Maybe you want to be baptized or you want to know more about receiving Christ. You want to join Southcrest. We can handle that this morning or if you just want to indicate it on that card and place it in the box as you leave today. And if you're watching online, you hit that connect button and there are people there that will help you today. Lord, we pray that people will respond to you today and that you will bring people to you. (laughs) Thank you for loving us, Lord. Help us to take it outside today. Even as we leave here in a moment, help us to take it outside, to live it in the way that we deal with people on a daily basis. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.